left or right? Right or wrong? Lust or love? Gossip or truth? Deceit or honesty? Panic or prayer? Worry or peace? Integrity or dishonesty? Your will or God's will? Who you are today for good or bad all comes down to the choices you have made along the way. The decisions we make affect our lives 10, 15, 20 years from now. A choice made today will affect our lives tomorrow. So choose wisely. Well, good morning. Let me welcome you to Crossroads. We are excited that you're here. We also want to welcome those who are joining us online on Facebook Live and those that are listening also uh, to the audio part of today's message. We welcome you. And we say every, day, every week, uh, if you're watching us on Facebook, take the time to share this from our page to your page because, again, it increases exponentially the uh, number of people that will be exposed to the message today and throughout this week if you have it on your page. So, again, welcome. We're excited that you're here. Now, one of the things that I have to tell you this week is because last week I basically kind of lied to you I told you that next week and probably the next week we would not be in a series. But then on Monday, as I commonly do, I, I work from home for most of the day on Monday, and I have a plethora of notes, uh, things that I'm looking over, things that you've said, things that I've written down, things that other people have said. Uh, and a lot of times I'll go through that and try to get some ideas about things that are happening in the future. And I ran across a word, and the word was choices. And it just kind of resonated with me uh, as it relates to where you are and where I am in this season of life. Because when you think about it, we, we all have choices. We all make choices. Choices are just a part of life. Uh, and again, you made a choice this morning to get up and to come to Crossroads and to attend this service. Other people had the opportunity to make that very same choice, and some of them just decided, you know what, I don't feel good, I went out too late, late last night, I stayed out, I had too much to drink, I had too much partying, I'm not going to get up, I'm tired, I'm just going to sleep late, I'm not going to go to church, I'm not going to engage in community with other people at all. That's just the choice that they made. So if you made the choice to be here, and if you made the choice to join us online, I want to say thank you, because in this season, which is very different uh, we're coming back together, we're getting started, we're trying to accelerate things beyond where we were uh, in 2020. I just want to thank you for joining us because it means a lot to me uh, and to the family here at Crossroads that you're joining us because, again, you had a choice. Now, I talk about that, uh, and, and I want to be very honest with you. As I was talking to some people in the lobby just a moment ago, I said, you know, this has been a tough season. It's really like we're starting church all over again. And knowing that, when I talk about starting church all over again, I think about ministry. And I just want to tell you, ministry can be tough. Uh, ministry is one of those things that you're called into. And, and, and ministry can just be a tough, especially in the season that we've been in. And, and, and when I look over the last uh, 17 years... Uh, as far as my calling, uh, I'm, I am a little older than 17, but again, I, I want you to understand that when I think about uh, what God has called me to do, this last year has really had its ebbs and flows and ups and downs, and many times I have just looked to the heavens and said, God, you know what? I'm done. I'm so done. I've done this for 17 years. Uh, I, I've, I've I've been leading your people. I've done what you've asked me to do. And now I'm ready to go do something for me. Now, now I'm ready to go do something for myself. Because, again, I've been faithful for the last 17 years, and I've been doing what you've asked me to do. But, 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 but I'm ready to do something for me. And, and I think it goes without saying that we were about, that we were probably a month into this whole COVID-19 thing. And, and I really felt like, you know what? It's time to throw in the proverbial towel because, again, we, we didn't know anything. When we, were, when we were here in March, the first weekend in March, I think it was maybe the first weekend and the second weekend of March of 2020, uh, things were great. We had come off a great Christmas. We'd come off a great uh, first part of the year. But once COVID hit, we didn't know anything. We didn't know who, what, when, where, or how things were going to proceed forward. We didn't know how things were going to work out. And I'm not sure that you're going to believe this. But again, we quit having services in March. 
of 2020 and March, April, May, most of June, we met not one time. And can I just be honest with you and tell you this morning that during those four months, I had more people problems than I had when we were meeting three times on Sunday, Wednesday night students, and doing countless events throughout the week. I had more people problems when we weren't even coming together as a church. And you know what? Here's the thing I started to realize is I started to realize it. I understood it. I got it. People were home, and they had too much time on their hands. And all they were doing was watching negative Facebook and negative CNN and negative Fox News and negative Instagram, and they were filled with negativity. And it's really interesting. The very people who were all happy and giggles about how good the church was and how they loved it and how blessed they had been by everything that had happened at Crossroads, now these people had all this time on their hands, and, their, and, and, and like most aspects of their lives that you start to see with people who are negative, these people got negative, really negative. And that's the thing about a negative person. If you look back at the history of their life, there's usually negative, 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 negative. It's a track record. And, and it's kind of one of those things that I've learned as a pastor and as a leader that when somebody comes in the front door and the very first thing they do is complain about their last church, they're going to complain about you. It's 100% without fail. Anybody that has walked in those doors and in my first interaction with them started throwing other people under the bus, they're going to throw me under the bus. It's just going to happen. It's happened without fail. So enough, enough. I, I just started to get this restlessness in my soul and you have to realize that, that, that this is so much bigger than me just saying, you know what, I'm going to kick the ministry thing to the curb. It's so much bigger than me just going out and picking another job because as many of you know, I am an entrepreneur. Now I'm an entrepreneur for God. But again, uh, in my history, I have bought and sold and built and done different companies, and I love doing that. But it was about this time last year that I reached a place where it came to me making a fundamental choice. And that choice was this. Was I going to cooperate with God? Was I going to cooperate with the call that God had on my life? Or was I going to run and do my own thing and make the choice to serve myself? That's what I was confronted with. But let me tell you what I know about myself. Had I decided to go after those amazing opportunities that I knew were out there for me, had I made the decision, because it would have been easy, and some people have said, I don't know why you just didn't shut it down, the church. Had I gone after the opportunity that I know that was out there for me, there were multiple opportunities out there for me. Had I gone out there and gone after those opportunities and just shut the church thing down, had I decided to go after what I call the all-American dream, then I knew there was a very strong possibility that I was going to reach a point in my life, in my later years, and I would see myself as some under-challenged, over-resourced, bored guy with emptiness all around me. Honestly, I think most of you really get it. Because the last year has forced all of us to think in ways that we have never thought before. And when I look at so many of my friends who are leading churches and pastoring, it's sad for me to report to you that many people that I know have closed their churches. They've closed their doors. And I'm not going to mention names, but I've alluded to this before. I used to be in a pastor's group of seven or eight pastors. Several of those guys were pastors in Nashville who pastored churches that had thousands of people who attended. They were called, they were gifted, they were talented, they were resourced. And even in that, out of that seven or eight people, there is me and maybe one other guy who are still pastoring churches. And let me tell you, can I just be really honest with you? 
I'm probably the most least qualified of all eight of those people. But the rest of the guys are out. They're out of it. And the events of this year had made leading a church an amazingly difficult thing to do. I'm just being candid with you. I'm being candid with those who are watching online and listening online. It's been a, an incredibly difficult year because, again, you're just kind of going week to week. You're not, you're not sure who sh- who's going to show up. You don't know who's going to show up. You don't know if you're going to have the finances to pay the electric bill, to pay the bills, to pay the staff, to do the things that you're called to do. And, and I looked at the last, you know, 14 months, and I have to say it's been like leading the Israelites through the wilderness. That's exactly what it's like. In the first six months of last year, I had four pastor friends who were either a friend or an acquaintance who committed suicide. Four pastors that I know, either very personally or I know them and about their ministry, somehow I have been exposed and I have met them. Four of them actually committed suicide. Now think about that. Four people who were actually following the call of God on their lives, they just gave up and they ended it all. And not only did they give up the call that God had on them, they gave up life. And it made me think. So with all these times that I have wanted to throw in the towel, I've laid in bed at night. I've looked up and I've said, God, just give me a sign. Just give me a sign that that's what I'm supposed to do. Just give me a sign. But can I just tell you this morning, there ain't been no sign. And I just spend so much of my time thinking, And thanking God for me not making what I would be, what I think would be one of the biggest mistakes of my life. And that's quitting. I've made the choice not to quit. And understand this there are lots of things in my life that I don't get right. But I have to tell you that when I go to bed at night, I have this feeling that even though things are difficult and have been difficult, even though things might not look the way that I want them to look physically and spiritually, I can look at my life and realize that I'm not chasing after nothing. I'm not running in circles, chasing after the wind. But I have actually, listen to me this morning, I have actually found significance. And my significance has been found in serving you. My significance has been found in serving God's people. My significance has been found in giving and dedicating my life to doing things that are good. You see, one of the most important choices, one of the most important decisions that you're going to make in life is are you going to consistently keep looking for ways and shortcuts to what we call the promise of the all-American dream? That's why people, you know, migrate to America. That's why people are are gathered at the border. A lot of them, they want to come to America so they can experience what you and I know as the all-American dream. And you say, Randy, what do you talk about? What do you you mean when you say the all-American dream? The all-American dream for a lot of us means that we have more money and more power and more applause and more fame and more wealth, whatever it is. That's the way that you see the American dream. You and I as American citizens, a lot of people who are coming here, that's the things they want too. But you know what? They want to be treated right. They want to be treated nice. They want to be accepted. They want to have a government that cares for them and people that cares for them. They want to have the freedoms that you and I enjoy. But most of us, when we think about the American dream, we're thinking about money and power and fame and wealth. 
So one of the choices that you have to make is are you going to consistently keep looking for ways and shortcuts to the promise of what I call the all-American dream? Or are you going to stop and think and maybe ask this question? What? What am I going to bank my fulfillment hope on? Are you going to chase the American dream? Are you going to ask the question, what am I banking my fulfillment hope on? Are you one of those people that thinks that if you get more and more and more of the all-American dream, then you're going to feel that that, that inner satisfaction? If you get more money and more wealth and more fame, then you're going to feel that inner peace? Or is that more likely to come from serving and using the life that God has given you to do good things in the lives of other people? Because this is fundamentally one of the most difficult questions that you will ask yourself. Fundamentally, this is one of the the most difficult questions that you will resolve in your spirit. Because think about it like this, because we all do. Isn't it true that you want your life to count for more? Isn't it true that your desire when you came in here is that you, you want your life to count for more than it does right now? You want to be and have a bigger impact in this world. You want your life to count for more. And I believe that's true. Every person in here, every person watching online, all those listening online, at the end of the day, that's what we all want. We want to use the life that God has given us to count for so much more. We want our life to make a difference in this world. So this morning, the thing I want to do is to show you someone who who was in a certain season of their life, kind of just like us. But what's interesting to this is this person was confronted with asking themselves the very same question that I'm, quest- that I'm proposing to you, but they got the answer wrong. They actually got the answer wrong. It's in the book of Ecclesiastes. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we read that Solomon, again, Jeff Bezos, uh, Musk, you know, uh, what's his name? What's his first name? Uh, Elon Musk, yeah. I mean, Lord Lord Jesus, give me my memory back, okay, what I'm saying? Uh, I mean, these are billionaires. Theologians tell us that Solomon eclipsed them. We can't even begin to understand the wealth of Solomon. We can't even grasp how wise he was. But in Ecclesiastes 2, we read that Solomon, the wisest, richest man that the world has ever known, he goes through this era of his life, and in this era, in this season of his life, he takes a swan dive into what I call the pool of self-gratification. And he said, enough. Enough of serving other people. Enough of living the the towel-bearing life like Jesus calls to, and instead... Solomon says, you know what? I'm going to shoot for the jackpot. I'm going to shoot for it all. I'm going to shoot for everything that I can get because I want more and I want more and I want more and I want more. And let me tell you, that's not any different from any of us in this room or anybody watching online. Most of us want more. A better house, a better car, a bigger salary, a bigger stock portfolio. We want more, we want more, we want more because, again, we think that's going to bring us satisfaction. We think it's going to bring us contentment. But look with me at Ecclesiastes 2, and this is what Solomon says, speaking so clearly to us in this church on this day in June in 2021. Solomon says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. 
In all of this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. You know, after that text where he said he bought a harem, I don't even know how to respond to that. You know what I mean? I, I don't even, I, I, all I can say is if, if he bought a harem, that had to be expensive. That's just all I could say to that. that that's all I could say. But it's in verse 10. That's the verse that kind of summarizes what I would say is this hedonistic buying binge that Solomon went on. It, it really defines this crazy season of his life because it says in chapter 2, verse 10, Solomon says, look at what he says, I decided to deny myself nothing that my eyes desired. Now, what would you call that? I'll tell you what I would call it. I would call it the realization of what I just alluded to a while ago. It's the realization of the all-American dream. I decided to deny myself nothing that my eyes desired. Now think about that. To have the opportunity, to have the resources, to be able to deny yourself nothing that your eyes desire. I mean, think about it. That's, that's like hitting the jackpot. It's like the Mega Millions on steroids. It's like the Powerball. It's like the best scratch-off that you can get. You, you've got so much money that you can buy anything that you see with your physical eyes. You can desire yourself nothing because you have the ability to do anything and acquire anything that you want. But look at verse 11. Because verse 11 speaks to me so clearly. Because Solomon says this, And when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. It was all like chasing the wind. Nothing was really gained under the sun. Tim, leave that up there just a minute. Because when you read that, you start to realize that's not new. This is nothing new. This is something that you see all the time. You're going to see it this week. You're going to see it in the news this week. I guarantee you. We, we see it all the time. People get access to fame and power, uh, uh, power and wealth and money. They have all of these things. They gain access to that. And they bet everything. They bet their entire fulfillment farm on gratifying their own personal desires. And then you and I sit back and watch them self-destruct. We watch the story of their lives unravel, and personally, we see them self-destruct. And you know what you would think? That at some point in human history, now think about this, that at some point in human history, that a million voices would rise up and say, no, 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 don't do that. That a million voices would rise up and say, that's not something that you need to do. Don't do that. Don't take the life that you've been given and live that life for yourself. Because here's the thing, if you try to, to, to satisfy, if you try to satiate that, that self-gratification monster in you, you have to understand, he will eat you alive and he will spit you out in the end. And you will get to the end of your life and regret 
the very way that you lived your one and only life. Don't live your life that way. Don't take a dive into the self-gratification pool. Well, you say, well, what's the alternative, Randy? If I'm not going to bet it on that farm, then what's the alternative? And I'll tell you what the alternative is. The alternative is this. It's following the teachings of Jesus. Following the teachings and the examples of Jesus in a very focused and dedicated and practical and profound way. You want to know what the alternative is? That's it. You see it right behind me. It's acting on the promise that God made us, that Jesus made us, that if you serve other people, your life will be deeply, and not only deeply blessed, your life will be greatly blessed. If you will spend your life serving other people, God will fill you with meaningful satisfaction instead of you depending on the acquisition of the all-American dream. Now you have a choice. Now you have a choice to make. And I know we have some visitors in here this morning, and I've told them, I said, hey, come back, come back, because this is kind of for us home folks today. You'll still be able to get something out of this, but this is for the home crowd today. But you have a choice to make, and I want you to understand, Crossroads people, Crossroads people here listening online, on vacation, watching online, I'm not going to take any heat off of you when it comes to making this choice. Because it's fundamentally one of the most serious choices with the highest, grandest implication of what's going to happen in your future as any other choice that you're going to make. Are you going to go after the all-American dream? Or are you going to follow the teachings and the example of Jesus? I want to highlight a couple of verses this morning. And the first one comes from the book of Titus, which I know most of you were probably in this morning deep in the book of Titus. But let let, let 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 me give you a couple of verses. Verses 8 and 14. Here's what we found. These things I have told you are all true. I want you to insist on them so that everyone who trusts in God will be careful to do good deeds all the time. Look at verse 14. These things are good and beneficial for everyone, for our people should not have unproductive lives. They must learn to do good by helping others who have urgent needs. And look at what Paul says in Ephesians 2 verse 10. Paul says this. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I'm not a picture drawer, but I'm going to draw a picture, and I hope you can see it, but if you can't, I'll just kind of narrate what it is. This is a person. This is me. This could be you. It really exemplifies who I am, skin and bones. You know what I mean? I am a stick man. And that's okay. But, but let's just say this. Let's just say this is Randy. Let's just say this is you. This is the average person. Because here's the thing. We find ourselves in a, you know, in a place in life at some point where we're just kind of out here. We're out here drifting from God. You start your life off by drifting from God. But then there's a point. And, and we call that point, whoops, we call that line, that point of crossing the line. We're out here drifting from God. We call this the, the, the point of salvation, the line of salvation. And here's the thing, people like you, people like me, we're going through life in different ways, and God is using different people in different ways in our lives. And you realize that money isn't everything. 
Wealth isn't everything. Power isn't everything. Fame, fortune, all those things aren't everything. We're just out here drifting from God, and, and, and in some miraculous way, we start reading and we start looking and we start asking questions and uh, because we, we're, we're out here and, and we've understood that having everything, we just know there, there's got to be more to life. There's just got to be more to life. And we're just over here drifting from God. But then a day comes when we meet a follower of Jesus. And we respect that follower of Jesus. And as it relates to the church and faith and God and Jesus, we, we, we go from like a negative 10 to a negative 6. And we say, you know what, I'm going to come to church. And we've been out here drifting from God and now we're going to church and we're, we're listening to the messages and we're listening to the beautiful music and the, the instruments and the people who harmonize and sing together. And as we're in an environment like this, something happens. The, the, the heart that we have on this side is softened. And then we get a Bible. And we start reading that Bible. And, and there comes a time when we cross the line of faith. And this person who's been over here just kind of floundering around, just drifting around, drifting around from God, they invite Jesus Christ into their life. And they ask Jesus to forgive their sins and to be their leader, to be their savior, to come into their life. And when that happens, the, the scripture says, that God gives us a new heart. The Scripture tells us that when we cross the line of salvation and we invite Jesus into our heart, that God gives us a new heart. And when God puts that new heart inside of you, you know what He does? He fills that. He fills that with his goodness and his love and his peace. And he gives you a sense of security. So here you are on the other side of the, the, the point of salvation, the line of faith. Here you are on the other side of the line of faith with your new heart. And then you hear this fantastic promise that, that heaven... Heaven is waiting for you. Once you're on this side of the line, there's something that God says he has waiting for you, and that thing that he has waiting for you is heaven. And then you start to wonder, well, if, if, if I've accepted Jesus Christ into my life as my Lord and Savior and ask him to forgive me of my sins, then why doesn't God just take me on to heaven? I mean, logical question, right? And I'll tell you, because Ephesians 2, verse 10, says that there are good works that were prepared in advance from this point to here. Ephesians 2, verse 10 says there are good works between this point here, the line that God prepared in advance for you to do. And some of you need to grab onto that. Some of you need to hear me. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, There are good works that were prepared between this point here and here. And those works were prepared in advance for you to do and for me to do. I mean, think about it. If you're a Christian, if you move from over here where you're just drifting from God and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and God has put a new heart into you, then why wouldn't God just pull you up? Beam you up, Scotty. 
I mean, because there are days that I really wish that would happen. Why are you still here sucking air? Why are you still here causing this terrible carbon footprint? I'll tell you why. Because you're not finished. You're not finished doing the good deeds that God wants you to do between this line and this day. And this is important. Because I'm going to tell you this morning, there are some times in my life when I put my, he my head on my pillow at night, and I'm not proud of this. But there are days when I put my head on my pillow at night, and you know what? I feel pretty good about myself. Because I can look back at the day and realize that, you know what? I, I fended off. I had on the whole armor of God, and I fended off some kind of temptation, and I laid down, and I'm like, God, are you going to give me a bumper sticker for that? I want heaven's marching band to come down and play a song for me because I, I, I resisted the devil when there was, you know, some kind of picture that I wanted to look at but I didn't look at. But let me say something. And I've said it to you before in different ways. The Christian life is not about managing sin. The Christian life is not just about sin management. God's goal for you today as you leave Crossroads is not just to go out and try not to do bad things. He wants you to walk through life focusing on the things that you can do that are good. And you know why I can be, be so clear when I speak about that? Because that's something that Jesus was very set on. He was clear on that. I mean, Jesus was very profoundly clear on the fact that he wanted me to live my life. And as I live my life, he's my Savior. He's forgiven me of my sins. But as I go from this point to here, I should live my life with my focus being on, yes, I don't need to do bad things, but my focus should be walking out the days that he gives me and I should be focusing on doing good things. Because in John 13, what does Jesus do? He washes the disciples' feet. And after he washes their feet, what does he do? He challenges them as his followers, as his disciples, to do the very same thing. In essence, what Jesus says, he says, I want you to understand, guys, Here's what I have done. That's what I want you to do. And the reason I want you to do that is because I want this to be a characteristic of people who follow me. I want it to be a characteristic of people who follow me, who bear my name. I want followers of, of Jesus to be identified out in society as those who are willing to do what normal people would never do. Jesus told that to his disciples. I want you as my follower to be willing to do what prideful people are always unwilling to do. And he doesn't do it in some dreamy way. Instead, he calls and teaches and demonstrates this in a very painstakingly practical way. He told his followers, I'm calling you to acts of service. I'm calling you to acts of kindness like foot washings. I'm, talling, I'm calling you to things like going out to, 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 to Target or to, to Kroger or wherever and, and open the door for other people. Let somebody get in line in front of you. I'm calling you to acts of service. I'm calling you to acts of kindness. Like as a, as a student, as a, as a young adult, like helping out your parents out around the house or, or maybe as an employee doing things at the office or in the classroom in ways that are uncharacteristic and unexpected by the rest of the people. 
And again, this is one of the things that makes me so proud to be part of this church. Because in the past, we as a church have stepped out and done amazing things. And it makes me proud to be able to do life with many of you. We're not a perfect church. I'm not a perfect pastor. But I have watched this church over and over and over again as it sought to put the needs of other people in front of its own needs. But it kind of brings us to where we are today. Once again, as a church, we're facing a challenge. And that challenge has happened over the last 14 months. Because you have heard me say, we have been really fortunate, as you have heard me say, because of, here's the thing, if you knew everything I knew about what was going on in the church world, you would find it very, very shocking as it relates to the fact that we even have our doors open today so that you can come. It's amazing that we're still open. I mean, some churches that I know, some pastor friends that I know, they've just now, in this month, the month of June, they've just now started having open in-person services. They've been doing everything online or been doing nothing at all, very, li very little at all. And so many churches have just stopped and quit and had to close their doors because people quit giving and people quit serving. And sadly, lots of people are just giving up on attending church. And COVID has really brought many of us to the place in our lives where we said, you know, wait, I don't really need church. It takes time to get ready. It takes time to get there. It takes time to go out to eat. It takes time to get back. Take, Sunday's my day. And I'm not so sure that that's not part of the devil's design with COVID is to get you out of church. But can I just say this? Hebrews 10.25 says, Seek, uh, don't forsake the, 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 the getting together of God's people. Seek not the assembling of yourself together. And if you are one of those people who chooses to say, Sunday's my day, I'm going to spend it the way that I want to spend it, let, let me just tell you, long term, see how that works out for you. Just see how that works out. Because that's the thing, that's the idea that a lot of people have bought into. It's, again, part of the all-American dream. It's mine, I want more, I want more, and I want more. And they haven't come back to church. And unless something happens in their life, unless something catastrophic happens in their life, they're just going to stay home because they don't feel like they need God or that they don't need to be in the local church. So knowing that we have survived to this point and knowing that we want to accelerate and go beyond where we were before COVID-19 hit, here's the thing I want you to understand. You already know this. You saw it in your chair. You picked it up. You may have thrown it away. You may have given it to somebody else. But you saw that card there. We're going to need your help. Take a minute and look at the card that I gave you that I put in the seat there. We're going to need you committing to getting involved here at, at, at Crossroads. We need a minimum of 50 to 75 people to step up and serve in some capacity. You see the options there. I mean, think about it like this. We no longer offer environments for children at our 830 service. And we need all of those people who are out there not coming to Crossroads because we don't offer environments for children at 830. We need to give them an option to come to church. Because here's the thing, they don't want to come, they want to come at 830, but maybe they want to go to the lake and maybe they want to do some other things. You know, goodness, for, goodness, you know, if you had to sacrifice, goodness, you know, whatever. But, but anyway, I still want to offer it. We need children's environments at 830. Because they don't want to come and they don't want to sit in front of somebody and have to wrestle with their kids and the distraction that their kids are going to be in this service. Children's environments are created 
for children at their level so they can understand that Jesus is my friend and Jesus wants to help me and that Jesus wants to be my friend forever. Those environments are for children birth through fifth grade on Sunday morning. We need that in both of our services so people can come because here's what's going to happen. When we have children's environments at 8.30 and 10.30, when we get those going, we used to have them at 8, 9.30, and 11 when that was our service schedule. We had them in all three environments. We still didn't have enough volunteers, but we managed to pull it off. But if we can get children's environments going strong at 10.30 and then add 8.30 exponentially, you know what's going to happen? The attendance is going to increase increase at both services. That's why we need you to step up and help us. So look at that card. And you know, here's what you can do. You can shuffle that. You can leave that. You can, you can not fill that out. I understand that. But I'm calling you like Jesus is calling you because I'm his representative. I'm calling you to acts of service. I'm calling you to acts of kindness this morning at Crossroads. Because we want to change the world. We want to see a move of God in this church and in this, and in this community like we have never seen it before. And that means that you're going to have to find a place on there that you can serve. Every week, I can serve at 8.30. Every week, I can serve at 10.30. I can serve two times a month. I can serve once a month. I can serve both services. I can do whatever. Let me ask you this. Is it too hard to ask you to give just a few hours to God one day a week when I could pick up your iPhone and see that you were on Facebook and Instagram eight hours yesterday? Is that too much to ask? To give God a little bit of time? This might be the first step for some of you. It might be the first time you say, you know what, I want my life to make a difference. I want my life to count. Now, after 17 years of ministry, can I just say something? I have never seen anybody drift into the life of servanthood. I never see anybody just kind of drift into living the life of servanthood. Because I've recognized that in my life, the drift is toward selfishness. The drift is toward self-absorption. So let me just address something. Because I know some of you are sitting there thinking, well, I'm just waiting for you to ask me. And if you're one of those people that are saying, you know what, I'm just waiting for you to ask me to do something, Randy. You're just trying to lay the blame on somebody else so that you don't have to accept the blame yourself. You feel like saying that if you'll just, if, if, you know, I'm just waiting for people to ask me, then it takes you off the hook. But the truth of the matter is, according to what Jesus says, we shouldn't have to ask you. No church should have to ask you. The bridge, the journey, Hillcrest, nobody should have to ask you. And let me just say this for those that are watching online. If you attend another church, you need to be beating the door down at your church to be serving, to be involved in those acts of kindness. Find a place to serve and make a difference in the life of other people because that's what Jesus calls us to. And again, I'm not guilting you. But I'm going to tell you this morning that this is my prayer. When you come face to face with Jesus and Jesus is playing your life on the jumbotron and everybody's out here watching and the subject of time comes up and Jesus starts talking to you about how you spent the time that he had given you. You know what I hope? You know what my prayer is? My prayer is that when Jesus is asking you that immediately, June the 13th of 2021 comes to your mind and you remember, that's what Randy said. Because Randy took it from Scripture. Randy took it from Jesus. But I pray that this day comes front and center in your mind. Randy talked about it. Randy spoke about it. I knew what you wanted me to do, Jesus. Because anyone who ever becomes a servant, there is a point in time in their life 
where they make the decision, that's going to be the direction of my life. I'm going to live the life of servanthood. They make a choice. And I know some of you have already made that choice at some point in your life. Some of you are very faithful here. You're the, you're the backbone. You're the reason things are happening here. But many of you right now, you have not made that commitment. You're kind of out there in no man's land as it relates to serving and committing those acts of kindness. So on behalf of the teaching of Jesus Christ, on behalf of the teachings of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I want to ask you this question. Are you willing? Are you willing from this day forward as the Holy Spirit gives you power, are you willing to take up serving, realizing that serving is your destiny? Because it's either the towel and the life and the example of Jesus Christ or you're betting your fulfillment on fame and money and power and wealth. And listen to me this morning. You've got one life. And it's a huge gamble. And I challenge every one of you to take up the towel, take up the example of Jesus Christ try it go down that road give God some time and go down that road and see what God does would you bow your heads with me this morning God we're so thankful that we're still here thankful that we're doing the things that you've called us to do and God we're doing it as best we can but we know that we want to raise the level and exceed. We're not going back to normal because normal did not work. We want to exceed what you have called us to do. We want to amplify. We want to give steroids to the mission and the vision that you've given us as a church. We want to make differences in this community and in the lives of the people that you've surrounded us with. So God, my prayer this morning is that every person here in this auditorium, those listening, those watching online, that God, they're moved to actually take up the life and the example of Jesus Christ, that life of the towel, washing people's feet, acts of kindness, acts of service, being available to make a difference in the lives of other people. To God, that every person within this auditorium and those listening and watching online will, will take a moment and we'll, we'll physically here in this auditorium fill out a card and say, I'm going to work in a guest service team, or I'm going to work in the cafe, or I'm going to, I'm going to work in Wombaland or Upstreet, or I'm going to help our student ministry on Wednesday night. I'm going to get involved. And if they're not here, God, my prayer is that they'll, they'll send an email online, info, I-N-F-O, at CrossroadsLebanon.com and say, you know what? I want to get involved. I want to do something. Here's my gifts. Here's my talents. Or I'll just let you, Randy, use me wherever I'm needed. that we'll be available to do the things, God, that you've called us to do. God, we long to be the people in the church that you've called us to be, and we can only do that when we take up the life of the towel and follow the teachings of Jesus profoundly and practically. Service and acts of kindness. As we ask this prayer this morning in Jesus' name, amen.
Nothing is a sacrifice. He gave it all. So for us to give our lives back to him. Like there's nothing that compares to the sacrifice that he gave us. Just let's sing this. For the one who gave me life. Nothing is a sacrifice. Use me how you 